welcome to the Thorax podcast. I'm Elizabeth Patella Duran. Today I'm talking to Dr. Ian Mudway, one of the authors of the paper Effects of Air Pollution and the Introduction of the London Low Emission Zone on the Prevalence of Respiratory and Allergic Symptoms in School Children in East London. This was published in PLOS One in August. Uh, Dr. Mudway, welcome. To start, could you just give us an overview of your study with a little bit on what the London Low Emission Zone is? Yes, of course, and thank you for the for the invitation. So the study is is really built around testing the impact of the introduction of London's low emission zone on the respiratory health of children living in in central London. And within that framework, the low emission zone is a sort of a, a London-based emission scheme which was introduced in February 2008, and it really aimed to reduce the pollution in the city by targeting emissions from the most polluting vehicles. So it was introduced in a number of phases. So in sort of 2008, in February, it introduced regulations that meant that vehicles which didn't didn't meet, and these are heavy goods vehicles, Euro 3 emission standards would be fined if they entered the city. It was tightened in July 2008. And then the story gets a bit murky and we can explore exactly why it gets a bit murky later on. But the whole scheme was designed with the objective of reducing PM10 exposures for the London population. And so it was actually designed as a health intervention study. So the projections were that PM10 would fall. Associated with PM10, you would also see reductions in in the emissions of nitrogen dioxide and that there would be a measurable health benefit, a sort of a dividend in respiratory health for people living within, well, Greater London. So it's a big scheme, you know, it's targeting, well, as an intervention, it's targeting about 8.2 million people who are resident within the city, and of course about the the 1.5 to 2 million people who commute into and out of London every day. So it's the biggest scheme of its type in the world. Thank you. Could you explain a little bit about the methodology you used in your study, and in particular, how you collected data about the participants? We decided to focus on the respiratory health of children aged between 8 and 9, attending schools in in two boroughs in central London. We focused on Tower Hamlets and Hackney for a number of reasons. One, because they are relatively high pollution areas, and also because they had been predicted to be areas which would show the greatest benefit through the operation of the low emission zone. So to do our study, we visited the schools and actually the children went through a fairly comprehensive health assessment as part of the study. So the actual paper in PLOS is only really describing one aspect of what we did and that was sort of like the self-reported questionnaires looking at respiratory symptoms. So this was very much based on the Isaac methodology looking at, if you like, self-reported asthma, wheeze, eczema, rhinitis, and also including questions which would allow us to evaluate the severity of the symptoms that people who reported positive, if you like, symptoms had. But it was only part of what we did. So when we went to the schools, we also did um, lung function pre- and post-bronchodilator. We looked at exhaled NO as a marker of allergic inflammation in the airways. And we also took biosamples to look at biomarkers of of, of both traffic exposure and response. But specifically, the PLOS One paper really drills down into the messages which came out of the the symptomology. Thank you. Um, And so from the results that were published in PLOS One, can you talk us through those a little bit, and in particular, which 
childhood respiratory problems seem to be associated with air pollution. So within this cohort, in a sense, it's to put these results into some sort of context, I think. It's, it's important to say that the literature linking children's respiratory health with exposure to pollution, and specifically with traffic-related pollution, is a strengthening area. So there clearly are associations between worse asthma and allergic symptoms in children in relation to their proximity to roads carrying a high proportion of diesel vehicles. And so in this particular area, we do have children who are living very, very close, almost cheek and jowl, to some of the busiest roads within the city. And so what we actually found kind of chimes a little bit with what has been found in the literature already. We didn't actually show an effect on asthma severity in these children or the rate of asthma. But what we did find, and this has been found in meta-analysis of a, a, a wide range of European studies, that there was an effect between symptoms of rhinitis and also exposure to the pollutants that we were modeling. So what we're doing here is we're looking at the symptom scores and then we're relating that down to modeled exposures in the children using a very high-resolution dispersion model for London, which actually allows us to give exposure estimates based on the residential address of that child for varying periods. And in this paper, we've really focused on annual exposures because the questions we've asked are sort of related to asthma ever or asthma in, in the current year. But the, the key finding really is on rhinitis. And so it's sort of giving us an indication that with proximity to traffic and exposure to traffic-related pollution, we are seeing evidence of nasal inflammation in these children. Thank you. Uh, now, obviously, the study did highlight that actually pollution wasn't particularly reduced despite all of the efforts of the London Low Emission Zone. Do you think there's anything that could be done to reduce air pollution more effectively in this area or even to, as a way of protecting children against the effects of air pollution? Well, this is the nub of the paper. I, I mean, I'd have to say we found it quite difficult to get this paper published. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the reasons we found it difficult to get it published is that everybody kept on saying, well, it's a negative study. The low emission zone doesn't seem to have worked. And I must admit, we were, me and, and, and my, my collaborators and co-authors, were, were, were somewhat horrified by this because, mm. to me, this is almost like a drug trial. You know, it's like a clinical drug trial. The treatment here is the low emission zone. And so we have a kind of a treatment, a public health intervention, which is meant to improve the health of almost 10 million people. So it's a big one, okay? <laughs> um, it's an intervention which the world and all megacities around the world are looking at to see if it will work because they are concerned about how they're going to deal with air quality in an urban environment. And what the data says is, yes, there are health effects and there will be later papers coming out from this cohort which will show other effects related to traffic. But that this approach of relying on evolution of technology, the improvements of emissions from vehicles to solve your problem, isn't working, or it's certainly not delivering what it was meant to deliver. So the absence of change and the absence of benefit is a massively important public health message. Now, why didn't it work? Well, it, you know, as it happens, this paper makes the point that at this time, you know, for the last two years, we have known there is a massive mismatch between the emissions from diesel vehicles driving in the real world from the emission estimates which are 
generated from sort of like laboratory test cycles. And of course, this has become a huge story, you know, because of the Volkswagen scandal. Mm -hmm. Now, the Volkswagen scandal for us, the scandal is that it's somehow being presented as new news because my colleagues here at King's published data two years ago highlighting that there was this mismatch, that the vehicles were not producing benefits. And, and this is the key issue. The low emission zone was designed, I think, with very good intentions by people who said that if we can just get the dirtiest vehicles off the road, if we can just get vehicles which have better emission standards, that will improve air quality. But those vehicles didn't have better emission standards, despite what they said they would have. And so air quality hasn't improved. It's not the fault of the people who planned the low emission zone. It's not the fault of the operatives on the ground who are executing this plan. It's the fault of the vehicle companies who produce cars which fail to meet their emission standards. That's why there wasn't an improvement in air quality. So that's an important issue because going forward, and this is when perhaps policymakers might be a little bit naive, there are still plans that low emission zones will really be focused on improved emissions using technology on vehicles. And to me, what that says is you, you can't put all your eggs in, in one basket. We have to have a much more evidence-based approach to how we think about interventions which are played out at this sort of citywide scale. So I don't think it's, it's good enough anymore to say, we're going to introduce Euro 6 vehicles, they've got very good emissions and that's going to drive down pollution and so that's our policy. I think you have to say, we're going to do a trial to make sure that the Euro 6 engines actually work in the real world in a sort of an investigative study. And if they do, that's great. We can roll that out as a public intervention to protect health. But if they don't, we're going to have to use different strategies and, and actually move away from the dieselization of the fleet within the United Kingdom and Europe. The other thing I'd add, the current health advice which is being given is absolutely perverse. So if you take the advice to somebody who has allergic or asthmatic disease during a period, so say there's an air pollution period, what's the advice? Well, the first piece of advice they give you is that if you, if you have asthma, you shouldn't live within 300 meters of a busy road, as though most of the people in inner London have that choice. Yeah? Find yeah. somebody in inner London, find a child living in one of the inner London boroughs who lives further than 300 meters from a major road carrying a high density of diesel traffic. It's, it's simply not attainable. And then the other policy instrument is to say that because there's a high air pollution, you know, you should not go outside. Certainly you shouldn't exercise. And all of this is pushing the responsibility for mitigation against air pollution onto the people and people who aren't actually creating it. So we have a scenario where the polluters aren't being targeted, aren't being asked to change their behavior, but the people at risk, that includes children with, you know, no say in the matter, are being asked to modify their behavior. And that really, just from a simple ethical and moral dimension, is completely wrong. I agree. Finally, just you were saying that there's going to be some more papers coming out based on your findings. Do you mm -hmm. want to give a, a quick plug? <laughs> Well, you know, unfortunately, the quick plug would depend on me saying, well, we've submitted one of our papers to Lancet, but they have to review it and we have to survive peer review, of course. Um, so you're always in that process of, you know, they're in submission, but it, these things take a while to evolve. I'd say that the, the papers we have planned 
are, and I, you know, can't give too much away because obviously we're under peer review, have a much harder edged message. They show really profound, potentially life limiting impacts of children living in areas with poor air quality. And again, buried within the PLOS One paper is a statement, and I think it, it might get lost, you know, if people after reading this podcast sort of like <laughs> journey towards PLOS One and have a look at the paper. Within the paper, there's a little nugget. And the little nugget is that, you know, this really only covers the first three years of what is a six-year study looking at the impact of the low emission zone. But over the first three years of that study, and we're reporting only the first three years of the study, 84% of the children in the study living in Hackney and Tower Hamlets lived in areas that failed to meet the EU limit value for nitrogen dioxide. And that is a national scandal. So we often have politicians or local government individuals telling us, you know, that there are areas of, of our cities where there is, you know, high pollution. And it's framed very much as though there are these hotspots. And we have to deal with the hotspots of pollution, and they're incredibly critical. But of course, they're only hotspots because that's where they're measuring the pollution. In fact, they shouldn't be looked at as hotspots. They should be looked at as indicative sort of sites telling us something much more wider about the pollution in our urban areas. Mm. And certainly the idea that everybody living in zone one and two of central London and people living near major trunk roads, not just in London, but in other major cities throughout the United Kingdom, are living in areas which are not compliant with EU limit values, have not been compliant with EU limit values for a very long time and are not projected to be compliant with EU limit values until 2020, 2025, is really clearly unacceptable. Thank you very much for taking part. No problem at all.